Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sex Ed Podcast. This is Jen. And this is Kaylee. (laughs) This week, we are talking to Danielle, otherwise known as DB, from the podcast Sex Ed with DB. Have you listened to it before? I have. (laughs) So have I. It's uh, she's really cool, and uh, we're going to talk about, you know, what got her working on her podcast, why she cares about sex ed, and all kinds of other wonderful things. Yeah, yeah, her podcast is amazing. Honestly, she walked so that we could run. We stand on her shoulders <laughs> on our on our podcast, uh, and and obviously she's actually running, and we're actually walking. Her her podcast <laughs> is amazing. So, yeah, we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm stoked to be here. So we like to start off by asking our guests what their pronouns are and their sexuality. Sure. So I'm Danielle, aka DB, DBez, Dan, (laughs) whatever you want to call me, uh, she, her, hers. And in terms of my sexuality, you know, as a 28-year-old person, I've been uh, thinking about that a lot and like how... I identify and what labels feel good and what labels don't feel good. And I think where I'm at right now is I think I feel sexually fluid, but Mm -hmm. on like the spectrum of sexual orientation, I would say Kinsey scale wise, most, mostly on the straight side, but kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of move, moving and grooving around a little bit. (laughs) A little wavy, a little wiggly. Mm -hmm. Like it. I like it. I, I, it's interesting that a lot of our guests have said similar things. They're like, I don't really know. Somewhere. <laughs> I know. Some place and some scale. Someday we'll have a straight person on here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's inter- interesting to me how fluid people have become around, like how accepting of fluidity people have become. Like, I feel like we spend a lot of times making labels only to find that most people don't fit in them. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> constrictive, I think, to some people. I mean, some people feel very empowered by them. And I, yeah. I personally feel like there's just like, like if everyone got the education and like the awareness that people in my circles did, then everyone would just kind of be in the middle, I feel like. <laughs> it just like, it just as an awareness kind of situation. Yes, I so agree with that. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your sex education experience growing up, whether that was in school or from your parents or your friends, like how did you learn about sex? Sure. So I would be remiss to not mention the fact that my mom is an OBGYN. So that is kind of Mm. step one from whatever kinds of messages I was receiving, both positive and negative when I was young were definitely from her in terms of what was appropriate dinner table talk or... (laughs) She is the person who put in my first tampon. So that was a close relationship that we had when I was 12. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Physically and emotionally, I'd say. (laughs) Was that helpful having someone else put a tampon in? I couldn't do it. You know, she was standing or sitting or kneeling. I don't know exactly what she was doing on the other side of the door. And I just (laughs) said to her, I can't fit it. You know, some people, including myself, have an angle to their 
vagina and I mm-hmm. just could not figure out how to get it just like didn't feel good and mm-hmm. so she was like do you want me to just come in there and she had this way of trying to be really open but still like you know she's part of our parents generation of like a little shy about stuff <laughs> so nonetheless she came in and knelt down on the ground with my foot up on the toilet and easily slid in the tampon like it was a magic, like it was a magic trick <laughs> and I was like well okay I guess that's how it's supposed to go in to be fair, I think she probably had some practice with inserting things in vaginas. So she you know. must have, yes, yeah, speculums. You know, bringing babies <laughs> in and out. Probably not in. Probably just out. <laughs> but I, yeah. So I was very grateful to have her. I've had her on my podcast, and we've chatted a little bit. And I've been like, hey, you know, I love you, and I love how open you were, but you kind of shame me when you would like catch me masturbating. Like, how do you mm. feel about that? And just it was very cathartic. Wow. Correct. Very direct. And yeah, I mean, our relationship, I think, is wonderful. And it is awesome that she's been on my podcast every season. So it's been so great just learning from her consistently. So that was a huge influence on me. Now, when it comes to school, I grew up on Long Island in New York in the suburbs. Pretty much my sex ed was like, okay. You know, I was very lucky that it wasn't horrible like most people I know. But it very much had this shame lens to it. You know, Mm -hmm. when we talked about stuff, it would be drugs and alcohol and how not to go overboard with it. It was, you know, here's how to have sex, but here are all the STIs that we're going to talk about. And so I think that that was very common when growing up in the early 2000s as a middle schooler. Mm -hmm. And I would have loved for it to be better. (laughs) But I am also very grateful that there wasn't abstinence only. There wasn't any kind of shaming of queer sex ed. It wasn't really that. It was just kind of existing in like a four or five out of 10 situation. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Nothing like factually inaccurate, but nothing like super inclusive either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how most people kind of went. My public school education was very much that as well. Like factually correct. Some of it was helpful. A lot of it was like, you know, if you have sex, you're going to die. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, so good. Not so good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you learn anything from friends growing up? Like what was, how did you talk about sex within your peer group? I feel like we talked about it, but we weren't having PV sex. We're talking about sex, right? Obviously it's so much more than just <laughs> penis vagina sex, but mm-hmm. that's what you grow up in this very mm-hmm. heteronormative world depending on where you live but that's how I grew up and so we were talking about boys and partners and and hooking up but it was never really like oh we're having sex yet like Mm. I feel like most people I knew didn't have sex until they're like junior senior year of high school maybe even freshman year of college so Mm. we were experimenting I think with fingering with kissing you know in early high school with hand jobs and blow jobs and oral <laughs> and all you can imagine. But right. I think we were pretty open about it, but I think it still was kind of like hush hush a little bit, like yeah. a little a little nerve wracking to like share what was going on. Yeah. And like never crossing the magic line. <laughs> PIV sex. Yes. <laughs> Once you cross it, you can never come back. At least that's what I was told. <laughs> I mean, did you question your sexuality at all when you were growing up or that kind of happened later on through all of your 
exploration? It's an excellent question. I think I've shared this on a different podcast interview, but I will share it again because I wonder if other people have experienced the same thing, but I was an OC watcher, the OC. Ever yes. heard of it? Best yes. show ever. Obsessed. Any, <laughs> anything you mentioned the OC, I will know. Okay, go ahead. Fantastic. Well, you might remember a specific scene where Olivia Wilde makes out with Marissa behind Marissa's mom's back. Yes. They have a whole lesbian thing for like a season. It was very strange. It was like she was straight the whole time and then she dated a woman and then she went back to being straight. Anyway, go ahead. It's like, what's (laughs) happening? But I like it is how I felt as a child. I liked it so much so that it made me nervous. It it for Mm. sure made me cry and made me feel... I can't, I can't remember if I actually uttered these words, but in my mind, like I went to my mom, I started crying and she was like, what's wrong? I don't think I ever said it, but I was like, I might be gay. Like that was what I was, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. And Aww. that's that's so shitty that I was crying. Obviously, I yeah. think it was just this like embarrassment or kind of this like, oh, something's like wrong about me mm. feeling attracted to this as a kid also. And so I think from a very young age, I was very in tune with my body and what felt good. Like I started masturbating at like four or five and kind of consistently did that from like ages seven to current day. But (laughs) I think that when it came to exploring my sexuality, that is like one pivotal moment I can Mm. remember. And other than that, I feel like it was more so in college and a little bit afterwards and until present day that I've really started to question, no, who do I find attractive? And can I think of myself as sexually fluid if I've never physically been with anyone other than, you know, a man or what have you? So I think it's just kind of a lot of like, where do I belong? And like, what, what feels good? and What feels kind of like, it's not mine to claim. Yeah, definitely. Definitely understand those feelings. Those are the tough questions. <laughs> yes. Yes. But your sexual fluidity is valid, even if you've only been in quote unquote straight relationships. So yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cool. So then I guess that leads us to how the heck did you wind up making a sex ed podcast? <laughs> well, so <laughs> there's kind of an origin story that I share, which is I was teaching English in Israel after college. And so I went on this field trip with my teaching cohort to a super religious, it's always back to religion, right? It's like religions, religion in any capacity when it's all the way at super religious is usually bad when it comes to (laughs) sexual health. I'll just say that. Right. So we went to this very religious community in Jerusalem called the community of the bells. And there was kind of a main rabbi there showing us around, showing us the temple, where he lived, his community, sharing his traditions. And he was talking about his family and he kind of offhandedly said this thing, which was, you know, I have seven daughters and when they all reach the age of 17 or 18, we married them off by the matchmaker and they don't learn about sex until their wedding night when they have it. And we, and not even finished. And we pray to Adonai, pray to God that they get pregnant that night. So he said this like whole thing and I, a 21 year old angry person was just sitting there and looking to my left and looking to my right and no one was saying anything. And I, my hand kind of shot up and 
he kind of like nodded my way and I was like, what do you mean? Like, what about what they want? Like, what if they aren't ready for that? And I probably said like a string of questions or incoherent thoughts that I was just so angry. And he just kind of like waved me off and like brushed it off. And was like, that's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. So I think like that was an aha moment for me of like, wow, this is super fucked up. And this isn't only happening in super religious communities, but right in my backyard, my community in California at the time. Mm. And so I decided to move back to the Bay and move to San Francisco after that year. And it was then that I also kind of decided that I wanted to apply to get my master's of public health. And so, and I wanted to kind of dedicate my, my life in some capacity to this work. And so all of that in conjunction with Trump being elected, I was like, oh my fucking God, I really have to do something because I think (laughs) everyone was feeling so helpless. And I think it was my way of really facilitating those conversations that we were hearing weren't appropriate. And I, I kind of refused to accept that. And so that's, that's kind of why I started the podcast. And then in June of 2017, four years ago, like today, probably or something. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Just like kind of, you know, when Facebook was still cool, which I don't know, anyone really uses (laughs) Facebook now, besides your parents, of course. (laughs) I posted a status and was just like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Like, what does everyone think about this? Are, Are there any people who would be willing to help? And I like, in one day, just got like, 50 comments and just like a bunch of people reaching out trying to like join and it just kind of like took off from there wow that's awesome that is amazing yeah obviously there's definitely a void of good (laughs) sex education experiences especially like today with a lot of other platforms like instagram tiktok whatever else like really censoring and not right banning Mm -hmm. content that's oh you're telling me yeah like not even overtly sexual right like come on Come on, y'all. <laughs> I know. It's bad. Um, yeah, it's really bad. Wow. Which is why I admire so much what you do. I, I like all your reaction videos and stuff that you have online are always hilarious. I'm like, oh, thank you. The ways you figure out to go around the specific words and stuff is so funny. That's exactly it. You know why I do so many reaction videos? Because they get the most views. And mm. so when I'm trying to get people to my page, when I'm really not able to because of other content being shadow banned, that is the best way to eat. I'm just fucking doing nothing. Like I'm literally just like fake <laughs> laughing or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just to kind of like screw the algorithm into thinking that it's like something popular into getting people to, cause once they get to my page, they can, you know, do what they want and scroll and check out. But what it's, it's the hard thing is getting people to it. Mm. Yeah. That's smart. That is a good thing to point out. So you've been doing your podcast for what is it? Four or five years now? Four years, five seasons. Wow. <laughs> yeah, ours is similar. Our seasons don't quite correlate to a year. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> eh, eight months here, four months there. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any stories about, you know, like what's the most incredible thing that you've learned or person that you've talked to in the past four-ish years? Hmm. I would say that's a really tough question to answer (laughs) just because I've talked to so many people who have really taught me a lot, but two Mm -hmm. episodes are coming to mind. One is the intersex rights episode that we did a couple seasons back with Hans and 
cypher and pigeon and they are intersex folks who are also intersex rights advocates and activists and i just learned so much from them about like what happens to intersex babies so often at the hospital when they're born and surgery is kind of forced upon the parents as the only option while research shows that that's actually harmful and so like instead of that we should just kind of like let those kids grow up and if like they decide that they want to change stuff about their bodies then that is kind of their prerogative and I think it's tough because parents want their kids to be quote-unquote normal but the reality of the situation is so many intersex folks are struggling with their own identities because they're not told who they are and what they're made of and I think that that is really tough for for folks to not have that option So that's kind of one of the really amazing episodes that we've had. Another one that's coming to mind is someone who actually, unfortunately, recently passed away and her name, I actually think they were going by they, them at the time. Uh, Their name is Mistress Velvet. Mm -hmm. And they were a really incredible sex worker and feminist dominatrix who forced in some ways their folks they were working with to read feminist literature. (laughs) And I, I just really loved them and was such a big fan of them and was so sad to hear of their passing. Uh, I highly recommend listening to that episode and just learning from their work and reading about them and just how incredible of a force they were in their community and in the sexual health community in general. Yeah, I can back up that recommendation. I listened to that episode and it is really, really incredible. They were such an interesting person. If I remember correctly, they mostly worked with white men clients and had them like clean their house and read feminist literature as part of their their God. play it's really, really that's a service to the rest of the world honestly <laughs> yeah. like that's not even that's amazing truly yeah it was so cool oh my god i assume you know one of the cool things about having a podcast is you get to talk to so many different kinds of people that you probably wouldn't meet in your regular life and i know for me that's been a lot of growth some of our recent episodes have been about different gender identities and gender expressions. And a lot of that is stuff I've never really thought about too much before. And so it's been really interesting to hear other people talk about it in so much detail and how much it means to them and think about, you know, maybe how that can apply to my life. I wonder if, cause you're saying your sexuality is maybe a little bit more fluid. Do you feel like doing your podcast has maybe influenced that a little bit? Probably. I mean, I can't imagine it hasn't. I think that, I think two things. One, we do really our best to center LGBTQ and BIPOC voices. So I do think by nature of our mission, we have had on a a lot of queer people and hearing their stories and experiences. And if they sound similar to mine is kind of awesome to see (laughs) some some similarities there and also another thing that I want to say is just that I feel like the world is genuinely opening up around sexuality it just very much feels like comparing to 10 years ago we are way way more 
accepting, open, Mm -hmm. willing to bend our boundaries a little bit and willing to not be as afraid of what that means. And that is indicative that that is happening because culture is changing, because we are standing up for queer folks in the workspace, because we are encouraging queer and same-sex marriages to be legal and fighting for those rights. Like there are organizations and folks who are fighting on the ground for, you know, this isn't an accident. Like people have been fighting for decades. And so I think that that everything that's happening now is really a culmination of that. And there's a long way to go, but I just think that it's so apparent to me that things are changing for the better And I really hope they continue to. And again, I will say there is so much work to be done when it comes to trans rights and essentially just LGBTQ mental health. The statistics show is overall definitely not good. And I think that that's an overgeneralization, but that comes from bullying in school for kids. That comes from folks in their communities not being accepting of them. That comes from the laws and policies in their workplace and in their local and state governments and federal governments not advocating for them. So I think that while the world is opening up, it's again, not an accident and we need to be cognizant and appreciative and grateful of all the hard work that people have done for decades and people will continue to do for decades to come. Yeah. I, Feel it feels so good to hear you say that because I think one of the things I always say on this is like, oh, the young people are <sighs> they're so much more accepting and open and things are changing, but sometimes it's like, are they or am I just in a bubble? <laughs> yeah, I mean it kind it kind of feels like they are, but at the same time, it's kind of like there are still a lot of old people <laughs> and there are still <laughs> a lot of people our age who like aren't going anywhere. Like we need to yeah be able to have conversations around these things with everybody, not just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you made such a good point. A lot of the really big things that have happened, particularly recently, like gay marriage being legalized federally, you know, that's stuff that people have been working on for decades. And yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go, but we should also celebrate those wins. <laughs> yes, totally. So, I'm assuming you've learned a lot about sex and sex ed from doing your podcast. What do you think would really be beneficial for sex ed now? Like in schools or in general? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that could be a two-part question in school and just, yeah, in general. I don't know if that means like culturally or on social media. Yeah, I think... In in general, I do think that, and this is something I feel like I learned a lot about through my master's program, but mainly through two women who run their own sexual health company called Kimbrative, K-I-M-B-R-I-T-I-V-E. Their names are Kimberly and Brittany, so Kimbrative. <laughs> and they did a really amazing workshop uh, at one of my like clubs that I was attending on campus for my master's program at Columbia. And they did a whole like reproductive justice 101 workshop. And I never learned any of those things that were so necessary to learn when it comes to forced mass sterilization, when it comes to testing birth control on Puerto Rican women, when it comes to 
really not allowing historically black women and girls the autonomy and agency over their lives, bodies, and reproductive freedom. Like that is baked into our history and we do not talk about it enough. And so I think that every time I try to think about curriculum and think about what quote unquote comprehensive sexual health means, if it does not include reproductive justice, it is not comprehensive. So that is something I've learned from Kimberdiv and from many other BIPOC folks who are in this field. And so if you're listening and you want to learn more about that, really go check out Kimberdiv's Instagram. And so that, that I think in general just really needs to be in every single classroom when it comes to sex ed. Yeah. And I also think when it comes to the classroom, when we're talking about LGBTQ rights, health, and history, that can't just be a one-off class. That really needs to be incorporated everywhere, not just in health class, but in history and in English and just everywhere where where people exist. I mean, I think that there are just so many facets to queer health and to kind of blanket it as like, well, here's LGBTQ day. We'll get through everything in a 30 minute lesson. Like it it just, (laughs) just give people video resources to look at at home. If like, you're not going to be able to adequately teach them. I think that's really important. Like that's, I think a lot of times LGBTQ people get treated as like a special interest group, right? (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. and here's the gay stuff. Yes. Back to normal reality, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. we are everywhere and we are a large portion of the population. We're yes. not just like other. Yeah, no, I just, I agree. I think that another facet of queer health that I learned about from an episode we did on asexuality is just that even within asexuality, there's a huge spectrum. We kind of assume mm-hmm. like, oh, asexual people hate sex, but it's like, maybe they don't like sex as much as like other folks who don't identify as asexual. Maybe they want sex under certain circumstances. Maybe it's only, you know, it's just like so multifaceted. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're interested in learning more about asexuality from an asexual person, you should go check out Daniel's YouTube series, Slice of Ace on YouTube and to learn more about that. But long story short, reproductive justice, LGBTQ health, uh, super important to go over the many, many layers that exist within both of those topics. (laughs) The two most critical things, also the two hardest to pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Given religious and uh, conservative people (laughs) and the sex ed laws. I mean, I totally agree. And I mean, man, I went to a Christian middle school and we literally had a whole unit of our science class. You can't see me, I guess, but I just did air quotes under science. That was about (laughs) how abortions are evil and kill babies and hurt them. And they biologically, they're evil, biological evil. They were born that way, baby. (laughs) That is clinically insane to me. Like I just, I'm so offended by that. I think that like, how can adults rationally and morally participate in that kind of education for children like they're ruining people's lives i've like it's it's just simple as that and Mm -hmm. the fact that they are allowed to use federally 
funded dollars to teach that shit is so preposterous to me. And I will never understand. Well, I don't think anyone really <laughs> understands because it's wacky, but yeah. I mean, racism, sexism, et cetera, are the reasons, but yeah. It's like we can barely get accurate information in, in like history classes, right? Like we barely <laughs> teach the trail of tears and we want to be talking about like reproductive justice and stuff <laughs> and sex ed. It's, it seems like a pipe dream, but it's like so necessary and, and stuff that all of us and many of our guests and many people just in life have to go teach themselves because like if you grew up going to Kaylee's school and then need an abortion later, like what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. I know. And you usually Google abortion near me and then you find a fucking crisis pregnancy center and they tell you that you're, you know, only eight weeks pregnant when you're 12 weeks pregnant and then you could miss your abortion. And you just like, I, I don't know if y'all have talked about crisis pregnancy centers here, but Not much. we haven't, but I'm familiar with them. They are basically, yeah. they like dis- disguised as like something like Planned Parenthood or like a clinic like Planned Parenthood to help you getting not just abortions, but reproductive care, sexual health care in general. And they usually mm-hmm. wind up to not be that and give you false information. I've, I've seen them say that like birth control causes breast cancer and like you'll get cancer if you get an abortion. And like what you said, telling you just wrong timetables of everything. Like in reality, they're like, they coerce you into, you know, keeping your pregnancy and yeah. Doing things that are probably not in the best interest of your health. And that's not an over exaggeration. They literally try to trick people. Like they'll, yeah. I used to volunteer at Planned Parenthood to help literally just escort people getting out of their cars, walking into the clinic because people from the crisis pregnancy center would try to scoop, swoop you when you're walking in and be like, hey, <laughs> do you want a free ultrasound? It's terrible. It, it makes my blood boil. Honestly, if I could talk about one thing for the rest of my life to like get rid of before I die, it would be crisis pregnancy centers because like it literally, they literally do use federally funded dollars. Like the government pays to mm-hmm. get people false information and to shame them out of having an abortion. Like that, if that's not the definition of evil, I do not know what is. How are they yeah. getting the federal money? Is it grants? I really don't know how they actually receive the money. I just know that there is a budget for that in the federal government. Yeah. It's kind of similar to our How Sex Ed is Funded episode that we did where we talked about how there are like grants set aside if you teach certain things in sex education, including abstinence only, even going into like factually inaccurate things that like condoms don't protect against HIV like and you get like federal grant money (laughs) to teach that shit it it must be something similar to that like grants and whatnot but yeah it 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 boggles my mind because even that feels a little coercive right like you say you've designed this program that's going to help people and make communities stronger right but like the actual brass tacks of it are that they're lying to people (laughs) and they're like oh yeah getting federal money to do it. it it all of it feels dishonest. All of it is dishonest. It's gross. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and when you're thinking about the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, yeah. there's a lot of eugenics kind of background there and just scary, yeah. bad stuff. That's terrible when it comes to, you know, again, not offering black women, women of color, their reproductive rights. And yeah not allowing them to make decisions for their own futures when it comes to forced sterilization or, you know, giving false information. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. 
So your point about teaching the history of that, in addition to, you know, maybe science or just general learning about reproductive rights would be helping people, you know, understand where we've come from as a country and how Mm -hmm. these problems have really just kind of blossomed over generations. Yeah, I mean, it's not an accident, again, that there are 20 million new cases of STIs every year in this country. And there's, you know, we should be taught that they're manageable. If you have care that you need, you can either cure or treat or manage them depending on the STI that you have. But like, I think that is so indicative of the fact that we are not giving people information for themselves to choose how to have sex, when to have sex, what it's, you know, I just think that if we really equipped young people to have the information and knowledge that they needed and resources and access and all of the above, I think that we'd be in a very different situation than we are in. Yeah. Yeah. This is all really interesting to me because, you know, every time we've, we've asked this question, obviously most of the answers are around like technically or scientifically accurate, non-shameful information. But this is the first time it's really been brought up that obviously sex education is connected to sexual health and health care and health access is like not divorceable from social justice issues. And that this is really a social justice issue and you can't talk about sexual health without talking about how we have failed people on this front for so long so that they yeah. understand you know, where they're coming from. I, I don't think we've really talked about this as... The, the need for sex education to encompass socioeconomic histories. Yeah. Completely. So to wrap up, DB, you, you know, you have five seasons of a wonderful podcast, Sex Ed with DB. Can you tell us, you know, do you have another season plan? Do you have anything cool that you're working on that you want to share about? We are currently, we're kind of in between seasons right now. We are mm-hmm. working on we're in pre-production for a TikTok sex ed series. Ooh. And so kind of like sex ed in, you know, a short, snappy, fun, a little bit formal kind of uh, like, not like news show, but kind of like variety, variety show. I don't, I don't know if that's the proper way to say it. It's just kind of like me basically making a lot of jokes and like <laughs> saying a lot of shit. And each episode is going to be themed a different thing. Wow. And different sex ed topic. And so... Yeah. That's what we're kind of working on. Um, if anyone listening is a phenomenal and fun and successful TikTok video editor, we are currently <laughs> on the hunt. So please reach out. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we're working on. I think the podcast has been amazing and we probably will continue to, to interview people in some capacity. The reality is that most of our audience exists on our social media. And so we want to, as much as possible, put out infographics and quotes and videos that are accessible to more people. So that's kind of what we're focusing on at the moment. That's amazing. Thank that you. That sounds so fun. Yeah, that sounds so cool. <laughs> meet, meet the kids where they're at. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's awesome. So like... When you say episode, is that like a video or is it a collection of videos? Yeah, we're kind of trying to figure out like the formatting right now. It's kind of it's kind of maybe looking like each episode, you know, will have four parts and each mm-hmm. part will be 60 seconds. And so okay. maybe the first part is kind of explaining like history and where we're at and some facts. And then the next part is kind of breaking down one facet of that topic. For example, we're doing an episode for sure on 
like unlearning fat phobia, right? So maybe like that is the overarching topic. And then kind of maybe one part within that is like, here's why BMI is total bullshit and why, you know, you can have a lot of other measures of health that are better for your mental health or what have you. So that's kind of what we're playing with right now. And if you kind of think like John Oliver kind of sitting at a desk with kind of like graphics popping up, that's like Mm -hmm. kind of the vibe. And so we'll see how it goes. Oh my God. That's going to be amazing. Um, I'm going to have to download TikTok now. Yes, you will. (laughs) I've been avoiding it for some. I'm too old. We will only follow your account, honestly. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Oh, shit. Well, damn. Thank you so much, DB. This 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 is an incredible talk. And I'm like, I wish we could talk more. We'll have to have you on again. Yeah. We've got another season coming up. More reproductive rights. <laughs> Always. Yes. I really, really appreciate y'all inviting me and for starting and having the conversation. And yeah, if, if folks are interested, should I share kind of where to, where to yes. find us? Yes. Please do. All cool. the places. Obviously right. TikTok. Yes. On TikTok, we're at sex ed with DB on TikTok. And on Twitter and then on Instagram, we're at Sex Ed with DB Podcast. Also follow our Instagram. We have a lot of really fun educational content, infographics, and what have you. On Facebook, we're at Ed with DB. They didn't like the sex and the title, so we had to change it. And then yeah, on YouTube, if you wanna if you you like YouTube, we have all of our episodes up there as well. If you just like YouTube search Sex Ed with DB. Nice. And finally, our website, www.sexedwithdb.com. And my last plug is I also am the head of content at an amazing sex toy company called Dame Products. Ooh. And I highly recommend everyone following them on Instagram, which is at Dame Products, one word. Uh, again, really, really amazing educational infographic-y fun content there. And if you want to get a discount on our amazing sex toys, you can use code SEXEDDB, all one word, to get 15% off. So those are all my wow. plugs. Wow. You should go look at these. I'm on the website. They look, they're classy. They look classy. They are very sophisticated, fun, unique. So highly, highly recommend checking them out. And before I even started working there, honestly, Palm is my favorite. P-O-M is my favorite vibrator. Um, Really, really amazing clitoral vibrators. Uh, We have arousal serum. We have uh, lube. We have a lot of fun stuff. So check it out. I'm looking at the Eva. It looks like a little bug. Yes. Uh, (laughs) The Eva is really fun and unique because it's the first and only clitoral vibrator that is hands-free. So it tucks into the labia and sits on the clitoris. And so if you are having partnered sex with someone with a penis or someone who wants to use a strap-on or a dildo, you can do that and the vibrator should stay in place. Wow. That's incredible. That sounds fun. I know. Thank I'm like, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. Definitely. Well, thank you so much again. Everyone go check out Go check all out all DB stuff. I'll put it <laughs> all in the description. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm running on my cart full of stuff. So <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Really enjoyed having DB on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Go check out her, her podcast. Go listen to a bunch of episodes, uh, especially because this 
we only have one more episode left of the season. So you're going to have to have so something to do to fill your time. Sorry. Yeah. This is a perfect pastime now that the season's over. Almost. Also check out their TikTok and their social media, Sex Ed with DB. Yeah. And then you can also check out our social media. <laughs> What's our you social know? media, Jen? If you wanted to. Yeah. It's, I almost said Sex Ed with DB again. It is <laughs> Sex Ed Podcast. Sex Ed Podcast on Instagram sexedpod at gmail.com if you'd like to drop us a line uh, sexedpodcast.com if you want to check out any of our other episodes any of our other blogs, social media all the content we've got going on mm-hmm. uh, Kaylee wrote something very beautiful for Pride Month about being bisexual so y'all should check that out on our blog yes, I did that instead of going to therapy <laughs> <laughs> it, it has not worked well for her now she's in <laughs> therapy so <laughs> You can read that either on Medium or you can find it uh, on our website, sexedpodcast.com. Maybe you already said that, but who cares? Well, now they know for sure that that's where they can find it, sexedpodcast.com. Yeah, and follow our newsletter also on sexedpodcast.com or you can find it on Substack. And, uh, you know, something that we don't say very often, definitely not on every episode, is thank you to Kent Soliday. For making a jolly holiday of we our audio. Mastering. Literally say that every episode. I don't I know. know why. <laughs> I think we don't say it enough, but if anything, we say it too much. That's so. probably true. Just kidding. Thanks, Kent. We love you. I think we might have a special guest appearance from him on our final Ooh. episode. I don't know though. So tune in next week to find out. It's a surprise. Don't tell them that, Kaylee. It's a surprise. <gasps> Just kidding. Oh, yeah. So tune in next week. We'll be talking about our favorite moments from the season and what we got planned for next season. And then Jen and I are going to go into a cave and sleep for a few months uh, Mm -hmm. before coming back. So like bears. Surprise. Kaylee and I are actually bears. (laughs) We're not not people. We're going to hibernate. And uh, yeah, season three coming. Yeah. At some time. We'll (laughs) let you know. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.